I was going to talk about a, um, a koan. It's, um, among other things, it's, it's case number six in this book of, of koans that um, Dogen, the founder of Japanese Soto Zen, um, wrote down, essentially collected by hand, right before he left China for Japan to come back and become a uh, Zen teacher in Japan, basically. Um, so there's 301 of them, and this is, is case number six. Um, and he, he mentions it elsewhere in his, in his writing, so he must have thought it was kind of cool, and, and it goes like this. Um, so there was, a, there was a kind of academic Buddhist um, named Zhuxuan um, who was talking to a Zen master named Lang Ye. And Zhuxuan and, uh, says, so if the world is initially you know, unconditioned, um, then how is it that mountains, rivers, and the great earth suddenly arise. And um, Lanier says, if the world is initially unconditioned, how is it that um, mountains, rivers, and the great earth suddenly arise? And interestingly, I didn't notice this until I was just reading it the last couple of times um, in preparation for coming over here, but in the um, in the Initial question, the the sentence is tailed off with a question mark, right? But the the author or the translator finished off the 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 sent the sentence in the response with an exclamation point. <laughs> but but I'm pretty sure the original didn't have any punctuation in it at all. So because um, uh, you know I don't think academic. Chinese has any, you know, Song Dynasty academic Chinese has any, um, um, any punctuation. So, um, but, but he decided to sneak in an exclamation point. Um, uh, there's another translation by this guy. That, that's, that translator was this um, uh, local guy, Kaz uh, Tanahashi. Uh, there's, um, there's another translation by a very famous um, Japanese Zen teacher who is famous for a lot of things, but largely for um, for doing translations and commentaries on exactly the literature that we're talking about here, and and he's a um, he's a very skillful translator. And he trans the part where it says the world is initially unconditioned. He says something like the universe is pure and shows its original form. So um, that, you know, there's two views of what they're kind of talking about here, right? Um, so you might think that was pretty cryptic, but let's get into it and see what we can dig out of there. The, um, first of all, the whole thing about originally unconditioned and, uh, and pure and takes its original form, right? Um, Nothing is unconditioned. The, 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 whole, the whole 
even in original Buddhism, it was it, the um, you know the Pali Canon. Um, it would be hard to say that the Buddha is arguing that that there's anything unconditioned, right? But by the time the uh, you know Mahayana Buddhism rolls around a few hundred years later, um, the the it's pretty directly asserted in all of the um, the do- the significant documents that there's nothing that's unconditioned. The whole world arises together in this way where everything is interconnected and everything conditions everything else, basically. That's how it works. And, and, um, and, and, and also that categories like pure or, um, and, and categories like original form are, are empty of really self-nature or significance. So, um, so they can't be talking about that. Right? They're 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 not they're not saying um, that the that the universe itself is somehow unconditioned. The universe is conditions and conditioning and 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 the activity of conditioning from the Big Bang until it all um, stops conditioning itself because there's no more energy left in it, right? Um, which will happen. Hopefully not too soon. Um, The funny thing about it is, if you didn't know better, you, you might think they were talking about, you know, quantum mechanics, right? Like, um, you have this unknowable activity going on and and it and it somehow produces mountains and rivers and the great earth right which is to say a big collection of particles right and you know, probably everybody knows um, all this stuff about quantum mechanics but it's it it basically there's all these weird um, well, it's just weird, let's put it that way. Right? The um, famously, um, Einstein and a couple of collaborators early on in the history of quantum mechanics said, look, if you look at the math, it says that you can, you can establish a relationship between two particles and then you can move um, such that they have they, they take complementary values for known quantities like these things that are known as like spin or um, they have a bunch of um, you know different peculiar properties but anyway um, and, and you can establish this relationship so that they have complementary properties and then you can move one of them across the entire known universe and you, you change the one over here and the other one over there changes. That's ridiculous. They can't po- that can't possibly be true. And, and so quantum mechanics is bogus, right? And then, not all that long afterwards, people just started doing experiments and they're like, no, actually it's true. That stuff really happens, right? It's like you, you, you have this, this well, the, the, you know, the, the metaphor 
that's used is that the that everything is this sort of big probability wave, right? That that um, or 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 composite of probability waves. Then you when you grab a hold of something and you go, you know, a particle here, right? The um, that 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 whole that giant wave composite collapses into a known state, right? And but until that moment, you can't say anything particularly significant about the um, the about the state of things, right? It sounds a lot like Mahayana Buddhism. Right? Um, so it's pretty clear that they weren't talking about. Um, quantum mechanics, but it seems to me that what they, what it does mean is that they were willing to allow that reality is really weird, and, and, and that it doesn't look anything like our everyday perception. And so if you look at it that way, um, when Longyear just repeats the question, he's actually answering it, right? Um, so how do, how do mountains, rivers, and the great earth come into being? By saying mountains, rivers, and the great earth, right? It's like the... the um, we somehow create those perceptions, those ideas out of, you know, uh, out of nowhere by just bringing them up, right? So the, the um, you know, uh, Jishuan brought them up and, and Longyear was just going, yeah, I can do that too, see? <laughs> um, the 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 stuff of reality is fundamentally ungraspable, but it appears to us as mountains, rivers, and the great earth because why? Because um, we have we're conditioned by experience, and we're conditioned by. Um, by cultural convention to call these things mountains, rivers, and the great earth, right? And to, to think about them in a particular way, the, the you know, when we were sitting here um, breathing and noticing, right? Um, you can, you can if, you're, if you really pay attention, you can observe the process whereby you bring birds or cars or mountains, rivers, and the great earth into being. You can observe it directly. Um, you can't observe the whole process, right? You're not. You're probably not able to watch the sensation travel from your knee up to your brain, and you kick something off, and then, and the and the sensation that says, "Hmm, my knee hurts," um, shows up, right? You know, you can't see it all, but you can see a lot of it. It's amazing. You can really. Um, you can watch the way the attention alights on a on a perception, um, uh, 
kind of explains it, um, you know, and it does it in this way that's fundamentally associative, right? It's like, do I have anything in my vast storehouse that, that even slightly resembles this knee pain? Yeah, pretty much every time I sit Zosman. So, um, I've got a lot of them and I know exactly what they are, right? Is there anything that looks like this? Um, that sound out there? Yeah, I hear, I hear a car engine and car wheels, right? Um, I see a cartoon of car engine and car wheels. Um, that's how it works. That's, that's how we're built, and that's how mountains, rivers, and the great earth, you know, come into being, right? Um, And in a way, that's marvelous, right? It's, it's a view into what makes us alive, right? Because essentially, life is just memory, right? It's, it's like life is just embodied memory. Even back in the days when life was just, um, you know, archaea and cyanobacteria, right? Um, there, there, there were a whole bunch of, of things that had a little tiny snippet of memory and were capable of using it to respond to the world, right? Um, and, you know, it's just, you know, gone downhill since then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, um, but that's what it's for. Um, and we can... We can we can watch it in action, and it's the, and our our particular gift is, um, among other things, a lot of memory, and and a lot of power to associate um, uh, specific perceptions with with you know patterned memory objects and pattern responses that can be quite complex right? um, and, uh, and multi-layered. Right? So we're, we're good at that. Right? We're, we're good at living in that way. But there are some problems with it as well. Right? And the, the problems are kind of like this. If you think about it, this, this capacity arises from our, our personal and cultural conditioning. For the most part, right? um, by the by, our, from our actual experience, and from what people told and demonstrated to us, and maybe what some you know dogs and cats and birds told and demonstrated to us, and and since each one of us has unique experience and conditioning, unique in all the universe, right? Each one of us has a different model that we built out of um, uh, experience, conditioning, and, um, you know, cultural input, basically. Um, we're all different in that way. And sometimes the differences are subtle, and sometimes they're huge, right? Um, and underlying that model for the self and, and for the world 
that, which, which is, you know, really just, they're both really just simulacra. They're not the real thing, right? No, we're not, we're always, you know, in some ways like, you know, when we're having, eating a rice cake, we're always essentially eating a painting of a rice cake, right? It happens to be nutritious, but nonetheless, we're eating a painting of a rice cake. Um, the, but, but nonetheless, that painted rice cake and, the, and the, the, the models that go along with it are undergirded with, with powerful emotional forces that are intended to prod us into action. And you get a so you get a bunch of different people who um, have slightly different versions of reality, and they feel strongly about them. Um, sometimes that works out okay, and a lot of times it works out kind of badly, actually. <laughs> and you can you can see it in the history of the universe, or at least of the world. Um, and and. Uh, hmm. So that's the, that's fundamentally the human condition. We're these living beings with these particular gifts that, um, that are both useful and delusory, um, that invite delusion um, more than we'd like. So the other way to look at uh, Lange as an answer is he's just repeating the question. He's saying that's the question. So that's why it's a bad idea to put an exclamation point at the end. You could, if you if you left the question mark, you could add an exclamation point. But um, but you you want to underline the question, right? So there's a. There's a um, book that some of you might have stumbled into called um, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. Has anyone ever seen it? Nice. So it, it's, this, it's this peculiar, peculiar book. It's a, it's, a, it's a drawing manual, and it, and it makes the claim that the thing that... Make it, makes it hard for some people, not all people, but some people to draw, is essentially that they're, they're so immersed in and attached to their, their cartoon model of the world that they can't actually see what's in front of them. Right? And, and when they go to draw something, if it's, a, if it's a bowl, they're always fighting between their internal cartoon of bowl and the actual, what the bowl actually looks like to them, right? Um, and actually, it's kind of true. If, if, when you go through this book, I'm, I'm terrible at drawing, just, you know, um, but you go through this book and you, you can feel the fight, right? It's like you, you go, to, go to draw something, you can get partway through it, and then all of a sudden you're drawing your cartoon. Right? And then you're like, no. No, I'm drawing my cartoon again. <laughs> It's, it's amazing. And so it, it's a series of exercises that are designed to disentangle you from your, your visual model of the world and, and, and direct your attention to 
the reality that's right in front of your face, basically. And it's, it's a remarkable set of exercises. It's really good, actually. And, you know, you may or may not end up being uh, a better artist as a result, but um, at the very least, you will, you know, gone through the exercise, as it were. Um, what time is it? Nice. Hmm. But you will not be surprised to hear me say that that um, that, that also is what Zazen is for, right? And, and we are just doing it, right? So to to sit, to let go of what you think should be happening, um, uh, what you, of the, whatever was happening, um, whatever you think is going to happen in the future, and just to, just to allow your attention to range over the, the field of awareness and respond directly to each thing that, that lands on it, right? That's the, that's the exercise in Zazen, and it's a direct um, implementation of the proposed solution that Buddhism holds up to the human condition. That's it. Um, to be, to bring, to, to bring as much attention, empathy, and discernment to, to the actual fact of the present moment as possible and to act accordingly. And then do it again, and then do it again for the rest of your life, basically. That's kind of it. Um, it's like drawing on the right side of the brain. And just, just to keep that question alive, you know, what is it, and how does it come to be here? Well, what is that? How does it come to be here? What, when, you, when you start paying attention to your inner life, you start to see that you're full of weird patterns, half-formed entities, voices, you know, etc., right? Um, and the question, how did that get there, is, is a live question. Right? Um, you may never be able to explain it, but at the very least, it, it, it helps reveal the bigger picture of the contents of your, of your inner life. Right? And it helps you bring that into the world in a way that's constructive and creative. Well, that's about all I had. Thank you.